0: order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Neil Coyle, number one, please, Mr Speaker.
1: Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, while offering our commiserations to the England Lionesses following last night's semi-final, can I say that they have inspired millions and made us all very proud? Mr Speaker, I am sure the whole House will want to join me in congratulating Rose Hudson-Wilkin on her appointment as Bishop of Dover. I know she will take this new role on with the same dedication and care that she has shown to all of us during her time as Speaker's Chaplain. Mr Speaker, we offer our best wishes to all those taking part in this Saturday's Pride. Yesterday, 10 Downing Street hosted a reception to look back with pride on everything that generations of campaigners have achieved to celebrate the contribution that LGBT people of all backgrounds make to our national life, and to look forward to a future where the bigotry and discrimination that LGBT people still face is a thing of the past. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
0: Can I add my thanks on those of everyone in Birmingham, the England women's football team who have inspired the next generation of girls and boys to get involved in football? In March, the Prime Minister told this House we had to back her damaging Brexit plans so that she could focus on domestic issues like knife crime. On Sunday, an 18-year-old was stabbed and killed in Walworth in my constituency. Can the Prime Minister explain to that teenager's family why she has overseen a government of paralysis that has failed to tackle violent crime?
1: Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, first of all, we are all concerned by the incidents of knife crime that we've seen. We are all concerned uh, with the incidents that we saw over the weekend, and our thoughts and prayers are with the families and friends of the victims. And too many lives of potential are being cut short, uh, and uh, those futures are being cruelly robbed from those individuals and from their families. Uh, we have not been failing to act on this. We have been acting on this. We have ensured have ensured that we are working across the board, because it takes all of society to work on this issue. It isn't just an issue about policing. We've made more powers available to police, We've, well, some Labour members say it is just an issue about policing. No, we need to ensure that young people do not carry knives. We need to ensure that young people are taken away from a route into crime. That means dealing with drugs. It means dealing with gangs. We have provided more funding to police. We have provided extra powers to police. And, sadly, the Labour Party voted against that. Hugo Swire.
2: What message does the Prime Minister have for the people of Hong Kong at this difficult time?
1: Well, can I thank my right honourable friend for raising this issue? I'm been shocked, as I'm sure members across the House have been, to see the scenes from Hong Kong on Monday and the use of violence at the Legislative Council. The vast majority of the hundreds of thousands who marched did so peacefully and lawfully, and I think this week's anniversary of the handover of Hong Kong is a reminder of the importance of the rights and freedoms enshrined in the Joint Declaration and it is vital that Hong Kong's high degree of autonomy and the rights and freedoms set down in the Sino-British Joint Declaration are respected. I have raised my concerns directly with Chinese leaders, as has my right hon. Friend the Foreign Secretary and other ministers, and we will continue to do so.
2: Jeremy
0: Corbyn.
2: Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm. I'm sure the whole House will want to express their condolences to the families of those rail workers who were hit and killed by a train this morning in Port Talbot. There will obviously have to be a full investigation into this but our thoughts must be with the families and friends of those that were killed and injured. I'd like to join the Prime Minister and others in congratulating Reverend Rose Hudson-Wilkin on becoming Bishop of Dover. She's been absolutely brilliant as chaplain to the House but she was also brilliant when she was a parish priest in she, shows such em- she shows such empathy for people. I think we must wish her well on her way. And I'm sure she's going to do really well. I'd also like to congratulate the England women's football team on their successful journey as far as the semi-finals and wish the men's cricket team well in their current match against New Zealand, which I understand is 134 for one at the moment. And. Um, Pride this weekend is a source of great enjoyment and you think of all those that suffered in the past to uh, try and defeat homophobia in our society and will be enjoying the joy of the streets of London this weekend. Um, Mr Speaker, the Chancellor says that a no-deal Brexit would cause a £90 billion hit to the public finances. The former Foreign Secretary says concerns about no deal are confected Hysteria. Who does the Prime Minister think is right? <laughs> Prime
1: Minister. What can I say to first of all, can I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, I share the remarks that he made in relation to the incident in uh, Port Talbot. Um, secondly, can I say to him the figure that was quoted was actually publicly available at the time. It was a figure that appeared in the government's economic analysis in relation to these matters. But can I also say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that if he if he is worried about no deal? I have done everything I can to ensure we leave the EU with a deal. I can look workers in the eye and tell them I voted to leave with a deal that protects jobs. The Right Honourable Gentleman can't do that because he's voted three times for no deal.
2: Mr Speaker,
1: the Prime Minister should
2: be aware that her deal was rejected three times by the House and when something's been rejected three times you might think about an alternative method of doing things. A confidential cabinet note apparently says that the government is not properly prepared for no deal and NHS trusts have warned that it will pose a major risk to NHS services and Mr Speaker Make UK representing UK manufacturers recently said there's a direct link between politicians talking up the prospect of no deal and British firms losing customers overseas and people losing their jobs. Are Make UK guilty of confected hysteria or is it speaking up for its members and its very legitimate concerns right across the manufacturing sector?
1: I think what uh, business organisation after business organisation showed earlier this year is that they wanted people in this House of Commons to vote for the deal so we could leave with a deal.
0: Sidney
1: Corbyn! Well, Mr Speaker, she couldn't get her own
2: party to support it. The opposition parties didn't support it either. And, Mr Speaker, as the danger of no deal ever looms, JLR, Ford, Nissan, Toyota and BMW have all said that no deal would threaten their continued presence in the UK. The Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders have said leaving the EU without a deal would trigger the most seismic shift in trading conditions ever experienced. And, Mr Speaker, within the last week, Vauxhall has said that their decision to produce the new Astra at Ellesmere Port will be conditional on the final terms of the UK's exit from the EU. So what can can the Prime Minister say to workers at Ellesmere Port and elsewhere, and—
0: Order! The Right Honourable Gentleman will not be shouted down under any circumstances whatsoever. If you're shouting, stop it. You can do better, and if you can't, it's about time you did. Jeremy Corbyn.
2: Mr Speaker, I was going to say to the Prime Minister, why doesn't she speak to both of the candidates to succeed her, and just remind them that as they trade insults over no deal, it's thousands of jobs that are at risk the
1: more they ratchet up their rhetoric? The right hon. Gentleman was saying, what would I say to workers at Ellesmere Port? I will tell him what I would say to workers at Ellesmere Port. I and the vast majority of Conservative members in this House voted to protect their jobs. The Labour, Party, the Labour Party whipped three times against a deal. The Labour Party whipped three times for no deal. The threat to those Ellesmere Port jobs is from the Labour Party.
2: Mr. Sp- um, on. you're very overexcitable. Calm yourself. Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, this party is about protecting jobs and living standards in this country, not crashing out without a deal. And with tariffs up to 40 per cent on some basic foodstuffs, can the Prime Minister set out exactly what impact no deal would have on food prices and on the farming industry in this country?
1: The Right Honourable Gentleman claims that the Labour Party stands up for protecting jobs and living standards. It has not only voted three times for no deal, therefore putting jobs under threat. It has also consistently—on consistently, uh, a number of occasions—voted it has voted against the very tax cuts that help people to maintain their living standards. We will take no lectures from the Labour Party on protecting people's jobs and living standards. As I
2: recall it, Mr. Speaker, it was this party that put a motion forward to take No Deal off the table. The Managing Director of Birdseye says No Deal would add 20% to some foodstuffs installed instantaneously, and that the NFU say No Deal would be very damaging to British farming. Both of the candidates succeed her have claimed they will renegotiate the backstop. So can she confirm that Section 12 of the EU Council decision to extend Article 50 ruled out reopening the withdrawal agreement and therefore the backstop.
1: I do not think I need to uh, r- tell the Right Honourable Gentleman what was in the Council conclusions. Those are clear, and I have made those clear in this, uh, at this Dispatch Box in this House. But the Right Honourable Gentleman stands up and says it was the Labour Party that put a motion to uh, abandon No Deal, to take it off the table, uh, through into this House. The trouble is, when it came to the votes that mattered, when it came to the votes that would actually have an impact on stopping No Deal, the Labour Party whipped against them. Absolutely typical of the Right Honourable Gentleman, all mouth and
2: we made it very clear, Mr. Speaker, made it very clear what the danger of no deal is, and we will do everything to prevent a no deal exit because we know the damage it will do to jobs and living standards in this country. Mr. Speaker, this government has comprehensively failed on Brexit jobs at risk, inward investment has fallen off a cliff and manufacturing at a six-year low. No deal threatens to crash the economy. The Government itself says no deal would cut growth by 10%. Yet we have two leadership candidates who are threatening no deal and indeed competing with each other on the rhetoric of no deal. This Government, Mr Speaker, is now in irrelevance. The two, candidates to succeed, the two candidates to succeed her have only got fantasy plans. Since she and her successors have no answers, doesn't the Prime Minister accept the best thing to do would be to go back to the people and let them decide which way we go?
1: I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, I've made the point now, I think, in answer to five of his questions, that if you want to ensure that this country leaves the European Union with a deal, you have to vote for a deal, which is what he and his colleagues have consistently refused to do. But there's another question for the Labour Party on this. With all this talk about no deal, the question really is, what, where does the Labour Party stand on Brexit? The shadow Brexit secretary doesn't support Brexit. The shadow Foreign Secretary doesn't support Brexit. The shadow Chancellor doesn't support Brexit. The Labour deputy leader doesn't support Brexit. Labour want to block Brexit, and that would be a betrayal of the many by the few. Yeah! Andrew Lewer. Andrew.
0: Andrew. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The, uh,
1: the, uh, the District Borough and County Councils of Northamptonshire have been working hard preparing for the creation of unitary authorities, but they, and most crucially the people of the county, need and deserve the certainty of the appropriate unitary orders being laid before Parliament. So can I ask the Prime Minister to pledge that these will be brought forward imminently? Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker, and I thank my honourable friend for raising what I know is an important issue and an issue of concern in his constituency and uh, elsewhere in Northamptonshire. Um, Subject to parliamentary approval, of course, the new authorities will be a significant step towards ensuring that residents and businesses can in future have the sustainable, high-quality local services they deserve. Officials are working hard with the eight Northamptonshire councils on the detail of the secondary uh, legislation, because that will need to include detail, and our aim is to lay the statutory instrument as soon as practical uh, for parliamentary debate and for parliamentary approval. Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr
0: Speaker. Can I join the Prime Minister in welcoming the Pride event in London this week, and of course right throughout the the world, and acknowledge that it is the SNP that has proportionately the largest LGBT group here in Parliament. Mr Speaker, this Prime Minister's days are numbered. Her review into devolution... (laughs) Is nothing more than an act of sheer desperation. This is a Prime Minister running scared of the people of Scotland. Does the Prime Minister think the future of Scotland should be decided by the people who live and work
1: there or by her party? The future of Scotland was decided by the few people who live and work there. It was decided in 2014 and they wanted to stay as part of the United Kingdom. Yeah. Ian
0: If the Prime Minister looked at the opinion poll, she will see there is a majority for independence. Mr. Speaker, Scotland's First Minister was explicitly clear when she said it is for the Scottish people, not a Tory party Prime Minister, to consider and decide what future we want for our Parliament and our country. Can the Prime Minister tell us, will this review into devolution? include the views of her would-be successors that a Scot would never be Prime Minister and that Westminster should actively choke off Foreign Office support for a First Minister doing her job. Doing her job, Prime Minister. This review is a farce. The real legacy of this Prime Minister is shutting down Scotland and ignoring the will of the Scottish Parliament. Mr. Speaker. The Tories have never supported devolution, and it's clear they never, never will. Yeah.
1: Can I say to the right honourable gentleman, first of all, uh, there is no review into devolution, and there is only one party in this House who wants to stop devolution in Scotland, and that's the Scottish National Party. Yeah. Ames Morris. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Yeah. Speaker. Uh, Iran Iran continues to use
0: all methods, including an increasingly sophisticated cyber capability, to destabilise the Middle East and pursue its ambition to become a regional superpower in the Middle East. Would the Prime Minister agree with me that a cyber-armed Iran is equally as dangerous as a nuclear-armed Iran, and we need to do all that we can necessary with our allies to combat this increasing threat from Iran in cyberspace.
1: A friend is right to raise concerns about Iran's destabilising behaviour in the region. Our objective continues to be to work with our international partners to find diplomatic solutions and to de-escalate tensions. But he's also right to raise this issue about cyber capability. Um, we have a dedicated capability to act in cyberspace through our National Offensive Cyber Programme. And last year, we offered our offensive cyber capabilities in support of NATO operations. Operations. He talks about working with others, that we were the first nation to do that, and we will continue to ensure that we have effective offensive cyber capabilities, which can be deployed at a time and place of our choosing across the full range of international threats.
0: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, yeah. The Prime Minister hopes that net-zero emissions by 2050 will be part of her uh, legacy, although many of us would hope that, that we would achieve that objective sooner but it needs policies to match that ambition. Developing onshore wind farms will help us tackle the climate crisis and reduce prices for consumers. It has overwhelming public support. So does she agree that now is the time to scrap the barriers, which have seen new installations fall to the lowest level since 2011, restore subsidies for wind farms, and allow them to compete in the contracts for different auctions.
1: Well, first of all, can I say to the Honourable Gentleman that the Committee on Climate Change was clear that 2050 was the right target date for uh, net-zero emissions, and can I also say to him there is no ban on onshore wind. What happened in 2015 was that local communities were given more show, say on onshore wind applications in their areas. Onshore wind has successfully exceeded its expected contribution to our 2020 renewable energy target, but at the same time we are backing offshore wind through a new Sector deal, maintaining the UK as the largest market in Europe over the next decade. Yes.
0: For Oliver yes.
1: The Prime Minister has shown a strong
0: commitment over many years to tackling domestic violence and abuse. Uh, measures introduced in 2012, 2014, and 2015, the groundbreaking strategy of 2016 on ending violence against women and girls, these have worked and reduced violence uh, towards women. But will she uh, tell us a little more about the bill which is about to come in, the uh, Domestic Abuse Bill, and what her hopes are for that, and how she feels that that will continue to help victims of this crime?
1: Can I I first of all thank my right honourable friend for the work that he has done on this important issue. Uh, He, like me, and I'm sure everyone across the House, are absolutely clear that domestic abuse has no place in our country. That's why I have set out plans to end the postcode lottery of support for survivors of domestic abuse. Uh, He refers to our draft domestic abuse bill that will introduce the first ever statutory government definition of domestic abuse. But it's not just about legislation. If we're going to transform our response, we need other action as well. So the draft bill will be accompanied by a package of non-legislative action to tackle domestic abuse and in November last year we awarded a further £22 million for various domestic abuse projects across the country because wherever you are wherever you live whatever the abuse you face everyone must have access to the services they need to be safe
0: Vernon Cooker yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you Mr Speaker Mr Speaker, Eve Leadbeater
2: and Lord Dubs. Eve Ledbetter being a constituent of mine arrived on the Kinder transport 80 years ago this week. Yeah. And isn't it important, Prime Minister, that we learn from history? So three years after Lord Dubsey's amendment in 2016 to the Immigration Bill, which gave 480 places for child refugees, only 220 of those have been filled. Yeah. Isn't it important to the thousands upon thousands of child refugees that there are in camps across Europe and, indeed, in the Middle East? that we honour their pledge and we allow a thousand child refugees to come into our country each year for the next ten years so that we turn rhetoric and crying and care and compassion for those child refugees, we turn that into public policy which actually meets their needs and does something about their suffering.
1: I say to the Honourable Gentleman, first of all, certainly Lord Dubbs, I don't know about his constituent, but Lord Dubbs came here on Kindertransport, organised by my late constituent, Sir Nicholas Winton. We can, as a country, be proud of everything that we have done in terms of helping refugees and other vulnerable children who are affected by conflict, by violence and by instability. Since the start of 2010 we've provided asylum or an alternative form of protection to over 34,600 children and we've granted family reunion visas to an additional 26,000. So we're determined that we continue these efforts. We've introduced a new form of leave that is exclusively for children brought to the UK from the Calais camp so they can continue to rebuild their lives with families in the UK and that Calais leave will grant those who qualify the right to study, work access public funds and health care and apply for settlement after 10 years. We have a proud record of helping refugees and we will continue with that proud record. Yeah. Andrea Leadsom. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can I
1: Thank my Right Honourable friend for the opportunity as Leader of the Commons to chair an interministerial group looking at giving every baby the best yeah. start in life. Yeah. There was some excellent work done by my ministerial colleagues Indeed. and a number of recommendations made, including that the government should establish a first thousand and one days vision for what best practice looks like. Can I ask the Prime Minister what progress has been made in addressing those recommendations? Yeah. First of all, can I can I say to my Right Honourable friend, I'd like to thank her for the work she did as Leader of the House and for her work on the interministerial group looking at this issue. But beyond that, actually, this issue of early years is a cause that she has championed for some considerable time, both before and since she came into this House. Um, and I am proud that over 850,000 disadvantaged two-year-olds have benefited from the free early education places we introduced in 2013. Uh, our Social Mobility Action Plan does set out a clear and ambitious plan for the early years, closing the word gap at age five, we want to make sure that where a child gets to in life depends on their individual talents, not on their background. And we will continue to work with my right honourable friend and others on. We will continue to work with my right honourable friend and others who rightly uh, put a high value on the importance of these early days in a child's life. Matt
0: Weston. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Eighteen-year-old Shan in my constituency
2: and several of her colleagues have just completed their A-level German. Sadly, due to the cuts in the teaching staff at the school, they had to teach themselves for the last two terms. By contrast, at the local private schools, they have German teachers still in place. At a time when some would turn their backs on Europe, does this not also suggest that the injustices that exist in this country are burning brighter than ever in our education
0: system?
1: We have, as the Honourable Gentleman knows, been putting more funding into our schools. Uh, we have been ensuring that we are making that funding and the distribution of that funding fairer, fairer across the country. As I have just said in response to my right Honourable Friend, I want to ensure that every young person can get as far as in life as their talents and their hard work will take them. George
0: Eustace. As long ago as 1875, this country became the first country in the world Uh, to require stunning of animals prior to slaughter. And yet the latest evidence from the Food Standards Agency is that last year 25% of all sheep slaughtered were unstunned, making use of a religious derogation. Religious uh, slaughter is a contentious issue. It's a matter of personal conscience uh, and also a matter of religious conviction for many. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that this should become a free vote issue on the floor of this House? Mm
1: I understand that uh, my hon. Friend actually had an adjournment debate yesterday on this uh, this particular issue. It does raise, obviously, uh, a number of uh, uh, emotions and concerns across the House of various sorts in relation to this uh, this particular issue. It is, of course—I mean, we have upheld the right for religious slaughter, um, but it is uh, also—we are a government, uh, as my my honourable friend, will know full well that is taking steps to ensure that we can monitor uh, the action that takes place in abattoirs um, through the introduction of CCTV into abattoirs.
0: Bryant.
2: I'm guessing that when the Prime Minister goes on her walking holidays, uh, she always wears Factor 30 or Factor 50 sunscreen, because she, including in Wales indeed, um,
0: <laughs> because, she knows, because
2: she knows full well that 90% of skin cancer is caused by harmful exposure to the sun. We give free sunscreen to our armed forces, quite rightly. Isn't it time that we now gave free sunscreen to our police officers when they're on duty, especially those standing outside this palace in the blazing sun for many hours? And does she agree with her uh, health secretary, who says that it's now time for us to remove VAT from high-factor sunscreen so that we can save lives?
1: Can I I say, first of all, to the uh, Right Honourable Gentleman, uh, the VAT rules do actually allow drugs and medications dispensed by a registered pharmacist against a prescription issued by a qualified health professional to be zero rated for VAT. And for some, uh, high factor sunscreen can be on the NHS prescription list for certain conditions. And in those circumstances, it's provided VAT free. But uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman raises an important issue about sunscreen. But actually, we should make sure that people don't just think that skin safety is about some protection products, because the leading cancer charities are very clear that there are a number of steps that people should be taking for protection, including avoiding long periods of exposure. I take the point that he makes that for some their job involves them being outside for periods of time. Um, But we should all be taking all precautions in relation to this this issue.
0: Michael Tomlinson. uh, Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Under the Prime Minister's leadership, We have a new funding formula for our schools, which I warmly welcome as a first step. But more still needs to be done. Does the Prime Minister agree that in order to make it fairer still, areas that have been historically underfunded need to be protected, such as Dorset and Poole, whilst protecting all schools?
1: Can I say to uh, my hon. Friend, I recognise the concern about this particular issue. Our fair funding formula sh- is, uh, over a number of years, making sure that we do see a much fairer distribution of funding uh, around uh, our schools. I recognise that there are those authorities that have been particularly uh, at the lower end of funding in the past. Indeed, uh, a number of my schools in my own constituency are in one of the, uh, those very authorities with Wokingham Borough Council. Um, that is why we are, but we are taking steps to make sure that the the impact is a fair impact as we introduce this fair funding formula on schools across the country. Mr
0: Kevin Jones. Thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. Each week in the UK, 12 young people die from sudden cardiac death. That is 12 families that are devastated, 12 young people who never live to fulfil their potential. All the evidence suggests that screening of uh, young people can prevent those deaths. Can I ask the Prime Minister to ensure that the National Screening Commission looks at the evidence put forward by the charity Cardiac Risk in the Young and others to prevent those deaths? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: To the yes, honourable that. gentleman, that uh, he raises a very important issue, and I'm sure the whole House will want to extend our sympathies to the families and friends of young people who do suffer from sudden cardiac death. And I know he and the all-party parliamentary group have done very important work on this issue. I'm assured by the Department for Health that the independent UK National Screening Committee will carefully consider all the relevant evi- evidence. And I know that the DHSC will study the findings of the committee when they're published in due course and look at those findings very carefully. This is an important issue. We want to make sure that we get this right. Nikki Morgan. Thank
0: you very much indeed, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Mr Speaker. In September last year, my 27-year-old constituent, Kirsty Garrity, tragically took her own life. After her death, her father found amongst her possessions a book called the Peaceful Pill Handbook, which she had bought from Amazon. In a letter to me, Amazon said, We believe that legislators, rather retailers, are best placed to make decisions on what should and should not be legally available for public purchase. Doesn't it sound rather like Facebook recently saying that they need to be regulated because they can't decide for themselves what to put on and not to put on their platforms? And does the Prime Minister agree with me that businesses actually have a duty to think yeah. very hard about what they're yeah, offering for yeah, sale, yeah, yeah. what they're putting on their platforms and a duty to behave the moral imperative? Yeah. 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 Right, can I say to my right honourable friend, first of all, I'm sure we will all want to send our deepest sympathies to the family and friends of Kirsty. We want to make sure, we're determined to make sure, that the UK is the safest place to be online, and this does involve tackling content which encourages suicide and self-harm. This issue of working with the tech companies to uh, get them to accept a greater responsibility for the sort of material that is put out across their platforms has been a long-standing one. We've seen some tech companies Taking action to tackle the issue, we want to ensure that there's a more consistent res- response from companies, protecting the safety and wellbeing of their users and especially those that are vulnerable. I know the Minister for Suicide Prevention is aware of this particular aspect of the issue of content online. She's deeply concerned about it and she will be uh, writing to Amazon about it. Gaffney. Yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Prime
0: Minister, a promise was made to the pensioners at the last general election that your party will protect the free TV licence until the end of this parliament. That promise has now been broken and it's pensioners like my dad who will pay the price. My dad is turning 90 in a few weeks' time. The TV is his main source of company. Just like many other pensioners up and down this country, their companion is their TV. So, Prime Minister, in your last act before you leave as Prime Minister, Will you we return the free TV licence to the patients of this country? Yeah.
1: First of all, can I send my very best wishes for a happy birthday to the hon. Gentleman's father in a few weeks' time? Uh, And can I say that the the BBC received a good deal with government in terms of funding that was available to the BBC? Uh, And I think there are many people who will ask why it is that the BBC can raise their salary bill to their top uh, uh, performers and personalities, at the same time as taking the action that they have done on TV licences. The BBC need to think again.
0: John Stevenson, Thank you, Mr. Speaker, the government has ambitious targets for a low-carbon economy and country. To achieve this, will undoubtedly require nuclear energy. Will the Prime Minister encourage the next Prime Minister to properly support and invest in the nuclear industry?
1: My, my, friend is absolutely right that we believe as a government, and I, I would wish to see this continued, that nuclear should play a role in our our energy mix. That is why I was pleased we were able to take the decision we did about Hinkley Point C. I recognise that there are other nuclear projects that have not been able to progress in the way that members had hoped that those would progress, but I want to see Government continuing to work with the nuclear industry to find a way through to ensure that nuclear can indeed play its role in our energy mix for the future. Alan
0: Brown Thank you, Mr. Speaker. My constituent, William Cree, has epilepsy. He suffers fits, struggles to eat, sometimes cannot walk or get out of bed, and his memory issues. Yet he only was only allocated at appeal stage. is now at appeal stage for UC limited <coughs> capability for work-related activity. But the DWP have not submitted the papers to court in time. Will she look into Mr. Cree's case? Apologise for this additional stress and delay, and advise what she is going to do to stop this unacceptable practice of the DWP not meeting court deadlines.
1: A To the honourable gentleman, obviously he's raised the particular case of, of, uh, I think it was William Cree, his uh, his constituent. I will ensure that the DWP looks properly into that case, and I will ask that question as to why the papers were not available in time for the court.
0: Brereton. As I'm sure my rightful friend the Prime Minister knows, Stoke-on-Trent is a unique city being made up of six towns and it's essential that all of those towns prosper. But would she agree with me that we need to see investment into our towns and particularly our future High Streets Fund bid for Longton?
1: <laughs> can I can I say to uh, my honourable friend, I'm very pleased to see the renaissance in Stoke-on-Trent, and uh, particularly the ceramics industry in Stoke-on-Trent. Um, he's absolutely right about the importance of high streets. That's why we have put money into the high street fund, and bids uh, for that money are being currently considered.
2: Mr. Gregory Campbell, thank you, Mr. Speaker. As the Prime Minister
0: enters the end game of her premiership. Would she join with me in congratulating the Royal Portrush Golf Club and celebrating the return after almost 70 years of the
2: Open Golf Championship, yeah. where some of the greatest golfers in the world will be coming, and there will even be some golfers from outside Northern Ireland. No. And, could, <laughs> on the yeah, yeah.
0: and could I ask her if both her and her two potential successors
1: would like to join me in two weeks' time on Royal Portrush?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. <coughs> Can I say to the Honourable Gentleman, I'm very happy to congratulate Royal Portrush Golf Club on on, uh, hosting the Open and to welcome the fact that the Open has returned. To uh, to Northern Ireland. Um, Can I also say I I hope that we we look forward to seeing uh, golfers, particularly from across the United Kingdom, uh, performing well in that uh, that particular uh, uh, open golf. Um, And uh, as for being able to join him in two weeks' time, I suspect that I and the two leadership contenders for the uh, Conservative Party leadership may be rather busy in two weeks' time, but we will be very I will certainly be watching what is happening in the open with great interest. Anne Marie Trevelyan. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that the news of the fire and tragic loss of life aboard Russian nuclear submarine the Lasharik? whilst working on the seabed in the high north should encourage her government to accept that in order to maintain operational military advantage and defend the west and critical subsea cable infrastructure from interference, we must, in this 50th year of our extraordinary continuous at sea deterrent Operation Relentless, invest properly in our Royal Navy and her submarine capabilities. Well, I'm sure that the whole House uh, will want to extend condolences to the families and friends of those who lost their lives. This was aboard a Russian nuclear submersible, but uh, uh, losing one's life in under the sea is is uh, something that I'm sure we can all uh, express our condolences for. Um, this is an important point about our submarine capability and about uh, the Royal Navy. I'd like to pay tribute to all our submariners who work so hard to keep us safe. We are committed to our submarine build programmes. The MOD has been given access to the £10 billion Dreadnought programme contingency so that our submarines will continue to silently patrol the seas giving us a nuclear deterrent every minute of every hour, as they have done for 50 years, and we thank them for it.
0: Jonathan Reynolds.
1: Prime Minister, Britain
0: needs better buses, and in Greater Manchester, our Mayor, Andy Burnham, has begun the process of re-regulating the bus (laughs) network so we can have a transport system similar to London's. But a bus journey in London is capped at £1.50. Yet, in my constituency, a journey of just a few miles costs more than double that. Yeah. Prime Minister, shouldn't everyone in all parts of the country get the same subsidy so yeah. they can have a bus service yeah. and pay a fair price
1: as good as yeah. London has? Yeah. Well, can I, say to, uh, can I say to the honourable gentleman that we are spending £250 million every year to keep fares down and maintain an extensive network which benefits people up and down the country? And I'm... Pleased to say, since I became PM, the overall number of bus routes is up by over 2,000. But of course, the Honourable Gentleman asks me about subsidies for buses. He might very well ask the Mayor of his responsibility in relation to this matter. And Maine. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Many colleagues today will visit the uh, lobbying beyond trophy hunting in the same week that Japan has resumed commercial whaling. What more can we do to to send the strongest message that this abhorrent practice (laughs) should be stopped immediately? And I first of all say that we are very disappointed with Japan's decision to withdraw from the International Whaling Commission and restart commercial whaling. Um, I have raised my concerns personally with Prime Minister Abe. I did that earlier this year. The, my right honourable friend, the Environment Secretary, has written to his Japanese counterpart on this matter. We will continue to work with the Japanese government to engage with them to raise our concerns at every level, and we urge them to rethink their decision.
0: Graham Morris. Yeah.
1: The Prime Minister will
0: be aware that £4.4 billion has been taken by the Treasury from the mine workers' pension funds. Uh, She may also be aware of a debate in this house where there was uh, support expressed for a review of the existing pension uh, surplus sharing arrangements. Would she please commission a review of those pension sharing
1: arrangements and let's have some justice for the retired miners and their widows? Yes. Well, can I can I say to the hon. Gentleman that agreements have been reached on relation to the sharing arrangements. Of course, we all have a concern about pensions and pension funds and their continuing ability to provide for pensioners. But, of course, one of the biggest challenges to pension funds, one of the biggest hits on pension funds, came from the last Labour Government when they took £100 billion out of pension funds. Mike
0: Wood, Mr Speaker. Uh, We can be proud of the Prime Minister driving the global agenda on climate change, but what discussions has she had with her counterparts about how they can follow Britain's lead as the first major economy to commit to eliminating net carbon and help reverse global warming?
1: Well, I thank my hon. Friend for raising this issue? I have encouraged leaders both around the European Union Council table but also other leaders when I was speaking at the G20 Summit at the end of last week to follow the UK's lead. I am pleased to say that a number have already shown their willingness willingness to do so, but we will continue with this message. Uh, We can play our part, but this is only going to be truly effective if everybody around the world recognises the need of taking this action.
0: Sir Vincent Cable. Uh, reference has already been made to the Prime Minister's moving speech on burning injustices in education. Uh, On a day when her own former school, I understand, uh, Weekly Park School near Oxford, is planning to move to part-time education because of what the head teacher calls enormous financial pressures, Uh, does she not agree that she must secure, before she leaves office, Additional funding outside the spending review.
1: Can I I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that we have already been putting extra money into into schools? We are ensuring that schools are funded. We recognise the pressures that have been on schools and we are ensuring that the the schools are funded. Can I also say to the Right Honourable Gentleman that I read from the Maidenhead advertiser (laughs) that, um, that he thinks I'm about to step down from Parliament? I am not. Uh, he, uh, he said that the Liberal Democrat Party was looking forward to a by election in the Windsor and Maidenhead constituency. That is not my seat. <laughs> and uh, I believe he claimed that the Liberal Democrats uh, were looking forward to taking the seat when they couldn't even win it, when they put a thousand people on the streets of Maidenhead, when I was a decapitation seat. Wrong on prediction, wrong on facts, typical Liberal Democrats, wrong on everything. <laughs>
0: Mr Chalk, the fellow must be heard. Mr, Chalk. Mr. Speaker, two, two of my constituents are the relatives of Kirsty Bowden, one of the victims of the London Bridge terrorist atrocity. And yet, despite the fact that at least one of the terrorist families received legal aid for representation at the inquest, none of the families of the victims did. Does my right honourable friend think that we need to look again at entitlement to legal aid for inquests so that those people who wish to ask questions about what happened to their loved ones are not left to fend for themselves.
1: Can I say to my honourable friend, I think he's raised a very important issue, and I think he will have seen from the reaction across the House the concern that people have about this issue. We have- Uh, As uh, I have said previously, we send our deepest sympathies to the families of the victims, um, and I can quite see why my hon. Friend has raised this as a matter of concern. I understand the Ministry of Justice are making a number of changes to ensure that there is more support for bereaved families, and we are committed to simplifying the process for applying for exceptional case funding, but I will make sure that the Ministry of Justice meets my hon. Friend to discuss this issue further.
0: The whole country has been shocked by the brutal murder of a pregnant mum, Kelly Favrel, in my constituency at the weekend, and the subsequent death of her baby Riley announced this morning. The police now believe this may have been a random attack by someone unknown to the family. If the government has been acting on knife crime, it isn't working. So what further action will the prime minister now take to stop the terrifying increase in the use of knives on our streets? Yeah.
1: What well, can I first of all say to the honourable gentleman, we were all shocked when we saw this terrible uh, act that uh, sadly led to the death of Kerry Mary Fovrell and of course as he said sadly the baby inside her died this morning. Uh, the uh, issue of The the question of knife crime is one I've addressed, I did refer to earlier. We are taking action in a number of ways. We will continue to work and work with the Mayor of London on the action that can be taken across London on this issue. But this is something that requires a multifaceted approach. It is about the whole of society. Uh, yes, we look at giving police the right powers, we have done that, but we also need to look at how we can ensure that, that uh, uh, young people particularly do not feel the need to carry knives, and that we ensure that we deal with the criminal gangs and the drugs that are often at the, at behind these terrible acts of violence that take place.
0: Mr you, Mr Speaker. Yet again this year, we can expect to welcome
2: between 35 and 40 million overseas visitors to our shores. Um, tourism overall employs about 3 million people in the UK including thousands in my constituency doesn't this underlie the importance of a tourism sector deal
1: Oh. Can I say too, my Honourable Friend, that we have of course been working with the tourism sector to look at what support can be given, how we can work with them to enhance not just the offer that they are able to make, but the, the way in which they are able to ensure that people can come here and enjoy the benefits, not just of my Honourable Friend's constituency, but of all our constituencies across the, across the country. Tourism is an important uh, uh, sector for us, and we will continue to work with the tourist industry to ensure that we can enhance that sector and enhance the benefits to this country and our economy of that sector, but also the benefits of those many tourists who come here and see what a wonderful place the United Kingdom is. Mr David Lammy Following the Windrush scandal in which black British
0: citizens were deported, detained and stripped of their rights to access public services, the Prime Minister rightly announced an independent review led by Wendy Williams. She said that review would publish on the 31st of March, 2019. It's now the 3rd of July. Can
1: the Prime Minister confirm that Wendy Williams will publish her review before she leaves office? I say to the Right Honourable Gentleman, it was absolutely right the Home Secretary commissioned that review from Wendy Williams. Wendy Williams is is working, it is up to, uh, you know, she will be uh, putting that report together. I believe that the report has not yet been received by the Home Office, but obviously we will ensure that when that report is received, that that report is published. David Buchitt.
2: Thank you very much Mr Speaker. Will my right old friend join me in welcoming last week's announcement from the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy of this Government's investment of £4.8 million for the ACORN carbon capture and storage project at the St Fergus gas plant in my constituency? And does she also agree that along with the development of renewable sources of energy, natural gas will remain an important transition
0: fuel towards a net zero emissions target?
1: Well, can I? I am very happy to welcome the investment that my honourable friend has referred to. It is important, as we look to that net zero target, that we look across the board at the various ways in which we can ensure we are providing for that net zero target. And as he has said, uh, the importance of natural gas within that uh, energy mix in the future will remain. Uh, we also look at uh, ensuring that we are providing support for. Uh, Technologies such as carbon capture, uh, because that will play an important part in future too. Mary Rimmer. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Prime Minister, a constituent of
0: mine, a single mum who has worked for the DWP full time over 30 years, has been
1: forced to take part-time working to support her child from childhood to adulthood. She's a severe sufferer of Down syndrome. And because of the confusing rules of the working tax credits um, to workers like this, she has been forced into, to extend her mortgage and go part-time working. It's a confusing rule within the HMRC. Would the prime minister please help to resolve this issue? She'd not be the only one in the country. Yeah. Can I say to the Honourable Lady that I'm sure uh, the Secretary of State for Work and Pensions has heard the particular case that she has raised in this uh, this House. We do want to ensure, and we are working, and my right honourable friend the Minister for Women and Equalities is working, on ensuring that women are able to take their place in the the workforce. We do see uh, women in the workforce at record levels. We want to ensure, and we're working on providing providing greater uh, economic empowerment for women so that they can take their place. I'm sure the specific case the Secretary of State or uh, the relevant Minister will respond.
0: Thank you. Order